Chapter Ten of Mount Royal, Volume Three by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten. His lady smiles. Delight is in her face. That benevolent advice of Mrs. Saint Aubyn's was not without its influence upon Leonard, lightly as he seemed to put aside the insinuation of evil. The matron's speech helped to strengthen his own doubts and fears. Other eyes than his had noted Christabel's manner of receiving the Baron's attentions other people had been impressed by the change in her the thing was not an evil of his own imagining she was making herself the talk of his friends and acquaintance there was scandal foul suspicion in the very atmosphere she breathed that mutual understanding that face-to-face arraignment which he felt must come sooner or later could not be staved off much longer the wife who defied him thus openly making light of him under his own roof must be brought to book to-morrow she and i must come to terms leonard said to himself no one had much leisure for thought that evening the drawing-room was a scene of babble and laughter music flirtation frivolity everybody seeming to be blessed with that happy-go-lucky temperament which can extract mirth from the merest trifles jessie bridgman and mr tregonell were the only lookers-on the only two people who in jack vandeleur's favourite phrase were not in it everyone else was full of the private theatricals the idea had only been mooted after luncheon and now it seemed as if life could hardly have been bearable yesterday without this thrilling prospect colonel blathwaite who had been out shooting all the afternoon entered vigorously into the discussion he was an experienced amateur actor had helped to swell the funds of half the charitable institutions of london and the provinces so he at once assumed the function of stage manager de cazalet can act he said i have seen him at south kensington but i don't think he knows the ropes as well as i do you must let me manage the whole business for you write to the london people for stage and scenery lamps costumes wigs and of course you will want me for alphonse little monty had been suggested for alphonse he was fair-haired and effeminate and had just that small namby-pamby air which would suit pauline's faint-hearted lover but nobody dared to say anything about him when colonel blathwaite made his generous offer will you really play alphonse exclaimed christabel looking up from the volume of engravings illustrating the costumes of the directory and empire over which the young ladies of the party notably dopsy and mopsy had been giggling and ejaculating we should not have ventured to offer you a secondary part you'll find it won't be a secondary character as i shall play it answered the colonel calmly alphonse will go better than any part in the piece and now as to the costumes do you want to be picturesque or do you want to be correct picturesque by all means cried mopsy dear mrs tregonell would look too lovely in powder and patches like boucher's pompadour said the colonel do you know i think now fancy balls are the rage the louis quinze costume is rather played out every ponderous matron fancies herself in powder and brocade the powder is hired for the evening and the brocade is easily convertible into a dinner-gown added the colonel who spent the greater part of his life among women and prided himself upon knowing their ways for my part i should like to see mrs tregonell dressed like madame tallien undressed like madame tallien you mean said captain vandeleur and thereupon followed a lively discussion as to the costume of the close of the last century as compared with the costume of to-day which ended in somebody's assertion that the last years of a century are apt to expire in social and political convulsions and that there was every promise of revolution as a wind-up for the present age 
my idea of the close of the nineteenth century is that it will be a period of dire poverty said the proprietor of the sling an age of pauperism already heralded by the sale of noble old mansions the breaking up of great estates the destruction of famous collections galleries libraries the pious hordes of generations of connoisseurs and bookworms scattered to the four winds by a stroke of the auctioneer's hammer the landed interest and the commercial classes are going down the hill together suez has ruined our shipping interests an unreciprocated free trade is ruining our commerce coffee tea cotton our markets are narrowing for all after a period of lavish expenditure reckless extravagance or at any rate the affectation of reckless extravagance there will come an era of dearth those are the wisest who will foresee and anticipate the change simplify their habits reduce their luxuries put on a quakerish sobriety in dress and entertainments which if carried out nicely may pass for high art train themselves to a kind of holy poverty outside the cloister and thus break their fall depend upon it there will be a fall for every one of those men and women who at this present day are living up to their incomes the voice is the voice of fitzjesse but the words are the words of cassandra said colonel blathwaite for my part i am like the greeks and never listen to such gloomy vaticinations i dare say the deluge will come a deluge now and again is inevitable but i think the dry land will last our time and in the meanwhile was there ever a pleasanter world than that we live in an entirely rebuilt and revivified london clubs theatres restaurants without number gaiety and brightness everywhere if our amusements are frivolous at least they are hearty if our friendships are transient they are very pleasant while they last we know people to-day and cut them to-morrow that is one of the first conditions of good society the people who are cut understand the force of circumstances and are just as ready to take up the running a year or two hence when we can afford to know them blessed are the poor in spirit quoted little monty in a meek voice our women are getting every day more like the women of the directory and the consulate continued the colonel we have come to short petticoats and gold anklets all in good time we shall come to bare feet we have abolished sleeves and we have brought bodices to a reductio ad absurdum but although prudes and puritans may disapprove our present form i must say that women were never so intelligent or so delightful we have come back to the days of the salon and the petit souper our daughters are sirens and our wives are wits charming for colonel blathwaite whose only experience is of the other people's wives and daughters said little monty but i don't feel sure that the owners are quite so happy when a man marries a pretty woman he puts himself beyond the pale said mr fitzjesse nobody sympathizes with him i dare say there was not a member of the grecian league who did not long to kick menelaus there should be stringent laws for the repression of nice girls fathers said little monty could there not be some kind of institution like the irish land court to force parents to cash up and hand over daughter and dowry to any spirited young man who made a bid here am i a conspicuous martyr to parental despotism i might have married half a dozen heiresses but for the intervention of stony-hearted fathers i have gone for them at all ages from pinafores to false fronts but i have never been so lucky as to rise an orphan poor little monty but what a happy escape for the lady ah i should have been very kind to her even if her youth and beauty dated before the reform bill said mr montague 
i should not have gone into society with her one must draw the line somewhere but i should have been forbearing dear mrs tregonell said mopsy gushingly have you made up your mind what to wear christabel had been turning the leaves of a folio abstractedly for the last ten minutes to wear oh for the play well i suppose i must be as true to the period as i can without imitating madame tallien baron you draw beautifully will you make a sketch for my costume i know a little woman in george street hanover square who will carry out your idea charmingly i should have thought that you could have imagined a short-waisted gown and a pair of long mittens without the help of an artist said jessie with some acidity she had been sitting close to the lamp poring over a piece of point-lace work a quiet and observant listener it was a fixed idea among the servants at mount royal that miss bridgman's eyes were constructed on the same principle as those of a horse and that she could see behind her there is nothing so very elaborate in the dress of that period is there i will try to realize the poetry of the costume oh but the poetry means the bare feet and ankles doesn't it asked miss bridgman when you talk about poetry and costume you generally mean something that sets a whole roomful of people staring and tittering my pauline will look a sylph said the baron with a languishing glance at his hostess and thus in the pursuit of the infinitely little the evening wore away songs and laughter music of the lightest and most evanescent character games which touched the confines of idiocy and set leonard wondering whether the evening amusement of colney hatch and hanwell could possibly savour of wilder lunacy than these sports which his wife and her circle cultivated in the grave old reception-room where a council of cavaliers with george trevelyan of nettlecombe a royalist colonel at their head had met and sworn fealty to charles stuart's cause at hazard of fortune and life leonard stood with his back to the wide old fireplace watching these revellers and speculating in a troubled spirit as to how much of this juvenile friskiness was real contemplating with a cynical spirit that nice sense of class distinction which enabled the two st aubin girls to keep mopsy and dopsy at an impassable distance even while engaged with them in these familiar sports vain that in the post-office game dopsy as montreal exchanged places with emily st aubin as newmarket montreal and newmarket themselves are not farther apart geographically than the two damsels were morally as they skipped into each other's chairs vain that in the spelling game the south belgravians caught up the landowner's daughters with a surprising sharpness and sometimes turned the laugh against those tender scions of the landed aristocracy the very attitude of clara st aubin's chin the way she talked apart with mrs tregonell seemingly unconscious of the vandeleur presence marked her inward sense of the gulf between them it was midnight before any one thought of going to bed yet there was unwanted animation at nine o'clock next morning in the dining-room where every one was talking of the day's expedition always excepting the master of the house who sat at one end of the table with termagant his favourite irish setter crouched at his feet and his game-bag lying on a chair near at hand are you really going to desert us asked mopsy with her sweetest smile i am not going to desert you for i never had the faintest intention of joining you answered leonard bluntly whether my wife and her friends made idiots of themselves by playing nursery games in the drawing-room or by skipping about a windy height on the edge of the sea is their own affair i can take my pleasure elsewhere yes but you take your pleasure very sadly as somebody said of english people generally urged mopsy whose only knowledge of polite literature was derived from the classical quotations and allusions in the daily telegraph 
you will be all alone for jack and little monty have promised to come with us i gave them perfect freedom of choice they may like that kind of thing i don't against so firm a resolve argument would have been in vain mopsy gave a little sigh and went on with her breakfast she was really sorry for leonard who had been a kind and useful friend to jack for the last six years who had been indeed the backbone of jack's resources without which that gentleman's pecuniary position would have collapsed into hopeless limpness she was quite sharp-sighted enough to see that the present aspect of affairs was obnoxious to mr tregonell that he was savagely jealous yet dared not remonstrate with his wife i should have thought he was just the last man to put up with anything of that kind she said to dopsy in their bedchamber confidences i mean her carrying on with the baron you needn't explain yourself retorted dopsy it's visible to the naked eye if you or i were to carry on like that in another woman's house we should get turned out but mrs tregonell is in her own house and so long as her husband doesn't see fit to complain but when will he see fit he stands by and watches his wife's open flirtation with the baron and lets her go on from bad to worse he must see that her very nature is changed since last year and yet he makes no attempt to alter her conduct he is an absolute worm even the worm will turn at last you may depend he will said dopsy sententiously this was last night's conversation and now in the bright fresh october morning with a delicious coolness in the clear air a balmy warmth in the sunshine dopsy and mopsy were smiling at their hostess for whose kindness they could not help feeling deeply grateful whatever they might think of her conduct they recognized a divided duty loyalty to leonard as their brother's patron and the friend who had first introduced them to this land of beulah gratitude to mrs tregonell without whose good graces they could not long have made their abode here you are not going with us asked christabel carelessly scanning leonard's shooting-gear as she rose from the table and drew on her long mousquetaire gloves no i'm going to shoot shall you go to the kiev that's a good place for woodcock don't you know jessie bridgman stared aghast at the speaker if you go that way in the afternoon you may fall in with us we are to drink tea at the farm perhaps i may go that way and now if every one is ready we had better start said christabel looking around at her party she wore a tight-fitting jacket dark olive velvet and a cloth skirt both heavily trimmed with sable a beaver hat with an ostrich feather which made a sweeping curve round the brim and caressed a coil of golden-brown hair at the back of the small head the costume which was faintly suggestive of a hunting party at fontainebleau or st germain became the tall finely moulded figure to admiration nobody could doubt for an instant that mrs tregonell was dressed for effect and was determined to get full value out of her beauty the neat tailor gown and simple little cloth toque of the past had given way to a costly and elaborate costume in which every detail marked the careful study of the coquette who lives only to be admired dopsy and mopsy felt a natural pang of envy as they scrutinized the quality of the cloth and calculated the cost of the fur but they consoled themselves with the conviction that there was a bewitching kate greenaway quaintness in their own flimsy garments which made up for the poverty of the stuff and the doubtful finish of home dressmaking a bunch of crimson poppies on mopsy's shoulder a cornflower in dopsy's hat made vivid gleams of colour upon their brown merino frocks while the freshness of their saffron-tinted toby frills was undeniable sleeves short and tight and ten buttoned swedish gloves made up a toilette which dopsy and mopsy had believed to be aesthetically perfect until they compared it with christabel's rich and picturesque attire 
the sato bin girls were not less conscious of the superiority of mrs tregonell's appearance but they were resigned to the inevitable how could a meagre quarterly allowance doled out by an unwilling father stand against a wife's unlimited power of running up bills and here was a woman who had a fortune of her own to squander as she pleased without anybody's leave or license secure in the severity of slate-coloured serges made by a west end tailor with hats to match and the best boots and gloves that money could buy the st aubin girls affected to despise christabel's olive velvet and sable tails it's the worst possible form to dress like that for a country ramble murmured emily to clara of course but the country's about the only place where she could venture to wear such clothes replied clara she'd be laughed at in london well i don't know there were some rather loud get-ups in the park last season said emily it's really absurd the way married women outdress girls once clear of the avenue mrs tregonell and her guests arranged themselves upon the darwinian principle of natural selection that brilliant bird the baron whose velvet coat and knickerbockers were the astonishment of beaucastle instinctively drew near to christabel whose velvet and sable plumed hat and point-lace necktie pointed her out as his proper mate little monty bohemian and decousu attached himself as naturally to one of the vandeleur girls shunning the iron-grey respectability of the st aubin breed mrs st aubin who had made up her mind at the last to join the party fastened herself upon st bernard faddy in the fond hope that he would be able to talk of parish matters and advise her about her duties as lady bountiful while he on his part only cared for rubric and ritual and looked upon parish visitation as an inferior branch of duty to be performed by newly pledged curates mr fitzjesse took up with dopsy who amused him as a marked specimen of nineteenth-century girlhood a rare and wonderful bird of its kind like a heavily waddled barb pigeon not beautiful but infinitely curious the two st aubin girls in a paucity of the male sex had to put up with the escort of captain vandeleur to whom they were extremely civil although they studiously ignored his sisters and so by lane and field-path by hill and vale they went up to the broad open heights above the sea a sea that was very fair to look upon on this sunshiny autumn day luminous with those translucent hues of amethyst and emerald sapphire and garnet which make the ever-changeful glory of that cornish strand miss bridgman walked half the way with the st aubin girls and captain vandeleur the st aubins had always been civil to her not without a certain tone of patronage which would have wounded a more self-conscious person but which jessie endured with perfect good temper what does it matter if they have the air of bending down from a higher social level every time they talk to me she said to major brie lightly when he made some rude remark about these young ladies if it pleases them to fancy themselves on a pinnacle the fancy is a harmless one and can't hurt me i shouldn't care to occupy that kind of imaginary height myself there must be a disagreeable sense of chilliness and remoteness and then there is always the fear of a sudden drop like that fall through infinite space which startles one sometimes on the edge of sleep armed with that calm philosophy which takes all small things lightly jessie was quite content that the miss st aubins should converse with her as if she were a creature of an inferior race born with lesser hopes and narrower needs than theirs and with no rights worth mention she was content that they should be sometimes familiar and sometimes distant that they should talk to her freely when there was no one else with whom they could talk and that they should ignore her presence when the room was full to-day emily st aubin was complacent even to friendliness her sister had completely appropriated captain vandeleur so emily gave herself up to feminine gossip there were some subjects which she really wanted to discuss with miss bridgman and this seemed a golden opportunity 
are we really going to have tea at the farmhouse near st nectan's kiev she asked didn't you hear mrs tregonell say so inquired jessie dryly i did but i could not help wondering a little was it not at the kiev that poor mr hamley was killed yes don't you think it just a little heartless of mrs tregonell to choose that spot for a pleasure party the farmhouse is not the kiev they are at least a mile apart that's a mere quibble miss bridgman the association is just the same and she ought to feel it mrs tregonell is my very dear friend answered jessie she and her aunt are the only friends i have made in this world you can't suppose that i shall find fault with her conduct no i suppose not you would stand by her through thick and thin through thick and thin even at the sacrifice of principle i should consider gratitude and friendship the governing principles of my life where she is concerned if she were to go ever so wrong you would still stand by her stand by her and cleave to her walk by her side till death wherever the path might lead i should not encourage her in wrong-doing i should lift up my voice when there was need but i should never forsake her that is your idea of friendship unquestionably to my mind friendship which implies anything less than that is meaningless however there is no need for heroics mrs tregonell is not going to put me to the test i hope not she is very sweet i should be deeply pained if she were to go wrong but do you know that my mother does not at all like her manner with the baron my sister and i are much more liberal-minded don't you know and we can understand that all she says and does is mere frivolity high spirits which must find some outlet but what surprises me is that she should be so gay and light-hearted after the dreadful events of her life if such things had happened to me i should inevitably have gone over to rome and buried myself in the severest conventual order that i could find yes there have been sad events in her life but i think she chose the wiser course in doing her duty by the aunt who brought her up than in self-immolation of that kind answered jessie with her thin lips drawn to the firmest line they were capable of assuming but think what she must have suffered last year when that poor man was killed i remember meeting him at dinner when they were first engaged such an interesting face the countenance of a poet i could fancy shelley or keats exactly like him we have their portraits said jessie intolerant of gush there is no scope for fancy but i think he really was a little like keats consumptive looking too which carried out the idea how utterly dreadful it must have been for mrs tregonell when he met his death so suddenly so awfully while he was a guest under her roof how did she bear it very quietly she had borne the pain of breaking her engagement for a principle a mistaken one as i think his death could hardly have given her worse pain but it was such an awful death awful in its suddenness that is all not more awful than the death of any one of our english soldiers who fell in zululand the other day after all the mode and manner of death is only a detail and so long as the physical pain is not severe an insignificant detail the one stupendous fact for the survivor remains always the same we had a friend and he is gone for ever for all we know there was the faint sound of a sob in her voice as she finished speaking well all i can say is that if i were mrs tregonell i could never have been happy again persisted miss st aubin they came to trevena soon after this and went down the hill to the base of that lofty crag on which king arthur's castle stood they found mrs fairfax and the pony carriage in the valley the provisions had all been carried up the ascent 
everything was ready for luncheon a quarter of an hour later they were all seated on the long grass and the crumbling stones on which christabel and her lover had sat so often in that happy season of her life when love was a new thought and faith in the beloved one as boundless as that far-reaching ocean on which they gazed in dreamy content now instead of low talk about arthur and guinevere tristan and isoult and all the legends of the dim poetic past there were loud voices and laughter execrable puns much conversation of the order generally known as chaff a great deal of mild personality of that kind which in the age of miss burney and miss austin was described as quizzing and roasting and an all-pervading flavour of lunacy the baron de cazalet tried to take advantage of the position and rise to poetry but he was lapped down by the majority especially by mr fitzjesse who hadn't a good word for arthur and his court mark was a coward and tristan was a traitor and a knave he said while as for isoult the less said of her the better the legends of arthur's birth are cleverly contrived to rehabilitate his mother's character but the lady's reputation still is open to doubt jack the giant killer and tom thumb are quite the most respectable heroes connected with this western world you have no occasion to be proud of the associations of the soil mrs tregonell but i am proud of my country and of its legends answered christabel and you believe in tristan and isoult and the constancy which was personified by a bramble as in the famous ballad of lord lovell the constancy which proved itself by marrying somebody else and remaining true to the old love all the same said mrs fairfax torrington in her society voice trained to detonate sharp sentences across a subdued buzz of a dinner-table poor tristan sighed dopsy poor isoult murmured mopsy they had never heard of either personage until this morning nothing in the life of either became them so well as the leaving it said mr fitzjesse the crowning touch of poetry in isoult's death redeems her errors you remember how she was led half senseless to tristan's death-chamber la l'embrasse de ses bras tant comme elle peut et jette son soupir et se passe sur le corps et le coeur lui part et l'âme s'en va if every woman who loses her lover could die like that said jessie with a curious glance at christabel who sat listening smilingly to the conversation with the baron prostrate at her feet instead of making good her loss at the earliest opportunity what a dreary place this world would be murmured little monty i think somebody in the poetic line has observed that nothing in nature is constant so it would be hard lines upon women if they were to be fettered for life by some early attachment that came to a bad end look at juliet's constancy said miss st aubin juliet was never put to the test answered fitzjesse the whole course of her love affair was something less than a week if that potion of hers had failed and she had awakened safe and sound in her own bedchamber next morning who knows that she would not have submitted to the force of circumstances married count paris and lived happily with him ever after there is only one perfect example of constancy in the whole realm of poetry and that is the love of paolo and francesca the love which even the pains of hell could not dissever they weren't married don't you know lisped monty they hadn't had the opportunity of getting tired of each other and then in the underworld a lady would be glad to take up with somebody she had known on earth just as in australia one is delighted to fall in with a fellow one wouldn't care two pence for in bond street i believe you are right said mr fitzjesse and that constancy is only another name for convenience married people are constant to each other as a rule because there is such an infernal row when they fall out 
lightly flew the moments in the balmy air freshened by the salt sea warmed by the glory of a meridian sun lightly and happily for that wise majority of the revellers whose philosophy is to get the most out of to-day's fair summer-time and to leave future winters and possible calamities to jove's discretion jessie watched the girl who had grown up by her side whose every thought she had once known and wondered if this beautiful artificial impersonation of society tones and society graces could be verily the same flesh and blood what had made this wondrous transformation had christabel's very soul undergone a change during that dismal period of apathy last winter she had awakened from that catalepsy of despair a new woman eager for frivolous pleasures courting admiration studious of effect the very opposite of that high-souled and pure-minded girl whom jessie had known and loved it is the most awful moral wreck that was ever seen thought jessie but if my love can save her from deeper degradation she shall be saved could she care for that showy impostor posed at her feet gazing up at her with passionate eyes hanging on her accents openly worshipping her she seemed to accept his idolatry to sanction his insolence and all her friends looked on half scornful half amused what can tregonell be thinking about not to be here to-day said jack vandeleur close to jessie's elbow why should he be here she asked because he's wanted he's neglecting that silly woman shamefully it is only his way answered jessie scornfully last year he invited mr hamley to mount royal who had been engaged to his wife a few years before he is not given to jealousy evidently not said captain vandeleur waxing thoughtful as he lighted a cigarette and strolled slowly off to stare at the sea the rocky pinnacles and yonder cormorants skimming away from a sharp point to dip and vanish in the green water the pilgrimage from trevena to trevithy farm was somewhat less straggling than the long walk by the cliffs the way was along a high road which necessitated less meandering but the party still divided itself into twos and threes and christabel still allowed de cazalet the privilege of a tete-a-tete she was a better walker than any of her friends and the baron was a practised pedestrian so those two kept well ahead leaving the rest of the party to follow as they pleased i wonder they are not tired of each other by this time said mopsy whose wurtemberg heels were beginning to tell upon her temper it has been such a long day and such a long walk what can the baron find to talk about all this time himself answered fitzjessie an inexhaustible subject men can always talk listening is the art in which they fail are you a good listener miss vandeleur i'm afraid not if any one is prosy i begin to think of my frocks very bad as a young woman with the conquest of society before you i most earnestly recommend you cultivate the listener's art talk just enough to develop your companion's powers if he has a hobby let him ride it be interested be sympathetic do not always agree but differ only to be convinced argue only to be converted never answer at random or stifle a yawn be a perfect listener and society is open to you people will talk of you as the most intelligent girl they know mopsy smiled a sickly smile the agony of those ready-made boots just a quarter of a size too small though they had seemed so comfortable in the shoemaker's shop was increasing momentarily here was a hill like the side of a house to be descended poor mopsy felt as if she were balancing herself on the points of her toes she leant feebly on her umbrella while the editor of the sling trudged sturdily by her side admiring the landscape stopping halfway down the hill to point out the grander features of the scene with his bamboo 
stopping was ever so much worse than going on it was as if the fires consuming the martyr at the stake had suddenly gone out and left him with an acuter consciousness of his pain too too lovely murmured mopsy heartily wishing herself in the king's road chelsea within hail of an omnibus she hobbled on somehow pretending to listen to mr fitzjesse's conversation but feeling that she was momentarily demonstrating her incompetence as a listener till they came to the farm where she was able to totter into the sitting-room and sink into the nearest chair i'm afraid you're tired said the journalist a sturdy block of a man who hardly knew the meaning of fatigue i am just a little tired she faltered hypocritically but it has been a lovely walk they were the last to arrive the tea-things were ready upon a table covered with snowy damask a substantial tea including home-made loaves saffron-coloured cakes jam marmalade and cream but there was no one in the room except mrs fairfax torrington who had enthroned herself in the most comfortable chair by the side of the cheerful fire all the rest of our people have gone straggling off to look at things she said some to the kiev and as that is a mile off we shall have ever so long to wait for our tea do you think we need wait very long asked mopsy whose head was aching from the effects of midday champagne would it be so very bad if we were to ask for a cup of tea i am positively longing for tea said mrs torrington to fitzjesse ignoring mopsy then i'll ask the farm people to brew a special pot for you two answered the journalist ringing the bell here comes mr tregonell game-bag dogs and all this is more friendly than i expected leonard strolled across the little quadrangular garden and came in at the low door as mr fitzjesse spoke i thought i should find some of you here he said where are the others gone to the kiev most of them answered mrs torrington briskly her freshness contrasted cruelly with mopsy's limp and exhausted condition at least i know your wife and de cazalet were bent on going there she had promised to show the waterfall we were just debating whether we ought to wait tea for them i wouldn't if i were you said leonard no doubt they'll take their time he flung down his game-bag took up his hat whistled to his dogs and went towards the door won't you stop and have some tea just to keep us in countenance asked mrs torrington no thanks i'd rather have it later i'll go and meet the others if he ever intended to look after her it was certainly time he should begin said the widow when the door was shut upon her host please ring again mr fitzjesse how slow these farm people are do they suppose we have come here to stare at cups and saucers End of chapter ten